Hello, everyone. I see we got a couple jumping in. Hi, everybody. Well, welcome to Red Planet Live. I am your host, Ashton Zeth. I'm elated to be hosting the Mars Society's podcast and leading the conversation about human exploration of the universe and the future settlement of Mars. As a longtime space enthusiast, I am passionate about STEM education and making humanity an interplanetary species. Thank you everybody for joining us today and supporting Red Planet Live. Now, today's conversation includes a special guest who's close to home and close to our hearts, none other than the Mars Society Executive Director, James Burke. James, thank you for joining today. It's such a pleasure to be here, Ashton, and thank you for inviting me on your awesome podcast, Red Planet Live. You guys are doing a fantastic job in representing the Mars Society very well. Well, thank you so much. It's, it's It really means a lot to hear that, and it's it's a pleasure to get to have today's conversation with you. Uh, for those don't, that don't know, uh, James is a founding member of the Mars Society and was the commander of the Transatlantic Mars Crew 261, which just finished their 12th sole mission at the Mars Desert Research Station uh, in Utah, which the Mars Society operates. James also leads the Mars VR Virtual Reality Project and has led the Seattle chapter since 1998. And in 2021, he was elevated to the full-time position of executive director and now sees all the Mars Society programs and initiatives, uh, works closely with Dr. Robert Zubrin and our many volunteers. So again, James, welcome back to the podcast. Excited to be chatting with you. And I'm really excited to hear about your recent mission to MDRS. Yeah, it was fantastic. Um, I've been part of the Mars Desert Research Station program as like the, the IT guy and then later on helping with mission support for over 10 years. And this was my first time commanding a mission there. So it was super special for me. And my crew was an amazing set of individuals. Just the talent level of our crew was off the charts. They were all space professionals. We had four people from our French chapter um and and that's a very large chapter it's one of the biggest chapters for the mars society um, my executive officer the second in command was aline Ducati, who is one of the young leaders of the french chapter and works for the european space agency she's a safety engineer at the Kourou launch site in french guyana which is europe's version of kennedy space center mm -hmm. where they launch all their big rockets um and my the other crew members were also equally as experienced and amazing our crew greenhab officer is a microbiologist named Cecile Renault. She was off the charts, a great scientist. Her attention to detail was incredible. Um, we ended up, I'll talk about it a little bit later, but we had a really cool experiment that a lot of people didn't think we could do, um, that we did. Um, we also had Julian Villamasson, who was a, our crew engineer. And this guy was amazing. He, he was running around, fixing things, writing code, making sure the power system was monitored, um, fixing our EVA monitors so we could see where we were on EVAs. And he was an expert with the Garmin devices that we used. Mm -hmm. um, so he was great. And then we had another really amazing engineer, Erin Kennedy from Canada. She was, was working on a special experiment, this robot that is a Mars exploration rover that's powered by wind. And we'll I'll talk about that. Um, but yeah, and then our last two were Audrey, who is from the University of Paris. She's a pharmacologist, but with the space focus. And she had a couple of medical experiments we did. Mm -hmm. And then finally, Chris Davidson, who's our crew journalist. Chris, I, I'm not going to lie. Chris Davidson is the best journalist I've ever worked with. She's, she's an artist and a journalist. And mm -hmm. she's done work for National Geographic. And she chronicled our mission, both with photojournalism and daily reports and they're the best ones i've ever read about the mgrs well they all sound amazing i can't wait to hear about you know your your various projects and your objectives and the research that you did while you're there and yeah shout out to the crew i, I hope they're all tuning in today and uh gonna hear us talking about them yeah some of them are still here in the u.s as well kind of exploring uh, utah and, uh, and elsewhere so yeah they're i'm sure a couple of them are watching Excellent. Okay. Well, shout out to them. They're, they're going to hear us. And yeah, thank you. Thank you guys for tuning in. I know you just came off your mission. So uh, thank you for, for spending some time with us. Uh, but before we kick off the conversation, I have just a, a quick Mars Society reminder, uh, which is that the Mars Society is thrilled to announce that their 26th annual International Mars Society Convention will take place this year from October 5th to 8th at Arizona State University in Tempe. 
Uh, this four-day event will bring together scientists, policymakers, commercial space executives, uh, government representatives, media, space enthusiasts to discuss the pressing topics related to space exploration, technology advances, and planning for the human exploration and settlement of Mars. Now, to ensure maximum participation, uh, the Mars Society will employ uh, technology platforms for in-person and virtual presentations, panel discussions, and debates. Attendees from around the world can join the conference, post questions, and interact with each other. Further details about the event, such as registration information, a list of confirmed speakers, suggested hotel accommodations, uh, and requirements for the poster contest. Uh, some have been released, more will be coming soon. So get ready to explore Mars with the Mars Society and stay tuned for those more the coming updates. So as James knows, uh, we do a segment on the podcast called Question of the Day. And James, I'm particularly interested in your answer because I know you just came off your uh, your mission, so you may have a unique experience on this question. So uh, for today's question of the day is, imagine you're about to take off on a long duration mission to Mars. If you could have any food, what would be your last meal on Earth before you launch? You know, I would have to go with surf and turf and maybe some fresh oysters as an appetizer because I'm not going to get those on Mars. Yeah. Um, we actually had some like canned smoked oysters. That was a hit on our on our crew. We made some paella dish with that. Um, but uh, other than that, you know, I would I'd have to go with the fresh oysters and some nice lobster and a nice steak. That sounds like an excellent choice. I think a lot of people would agree with you. Uh, I think we've got some of those in the the chat already as well. I think for my own, this would be a tough question. Um, but I would have to pick like an Indian feast. That's butter chicken, lamb tikka masala, uh, some saffron rice, garlic naan. Uh, I think that would would make me feel real happy before taking off on a long mission. And you can't forget the Diet Coke. Got to have a Diet Coke okay. in there. That Excellent. sounds really good, but I think we could probably make all that on Mars. Okay. Hey, <laughs> then I guess I've got something to look forward to. Uh, you know, if I ever get the chance to go, I can still have that, that last meal on Mars. Well, uh, before we jump into uh, questions with James, I just want to quickly remind our audience that's listening, if you have a question for James, please post that in the chat. Uh, I would love to read some of those questions, and I know uh, James is ready to answer some of those. So please put your questions in the chat, uh, and we'll get through those as well. So uh, James, again, thank you so much for joining today. Uh, I'm really excited to speak with you for a variety of reasons, um, obviously you being the executive director of the Mars Society. Um, but you know, for those that don't know you uh, and are new to the podcast and the Mars Society, can you share with us a little bit about your background and how you became involved with the Mars Society? Yeah, absolutely. I, I've been someone that's been interested in space just my whole life. Like since I was a little kid, I've always just been so fascinated by space travel, becoming an astronaut, you know, going back to the moon, going to Mars. It's been my dream to help that out my whole mm -hmm. life. And I want like growing up, I wanted to be in the Air Force. You know, but then I grew to be six foot nine, and so I couldn't be a fighter pilot like Top Gun. Um, yeah. So I pivoted to being a tech guy. I went to work at Microsoft and worked there for 20 years successfully. But that whole time I was working at Microsoft, at night I was volunteering for the Mars Society, and I was trying to help out wherever I could. Mm -hmm. And I remember, you know, back in like the late 90s when the Mars Society was getting started, uh, we did a big conference here in, here in Seattle with the National Science Teachers Association to try to educate them about Mars. Um, Robert Zubin used to call me on my desk phone at Microsoft, and he was trying to get me to get him a meeting with Bill Gates and see if Bill Gates would fund the Mars mission. Um, long story short, Bill Gates was not interested in Mars. Um, looking back, he probably should have told me to talk to Paul Allen instead, but yeah. live and learn. Um, yeah. So, But anyway, no, it's been a great ride, and I've been with the Mars Society since we got started and just tried to help out wherever I could. And I had the great opportunity two years ago to become the executive director. And it is my dream job. I mean, what kind of job would you, you know, it's like the blending your passion and your professional career in, in, at once. It's so, so amazing for me to get to do this. Yeah, absolutely. And we're so lucky to have you. I mean, I, I've had, it, it's been such a pleasure to get to know you um, and, and be a part of the Mars Society and, and see the vision that you have for us moving forward. And so uh, again, we're, we're so lucky to have you. So thank you for, for stepping up and taking on that role. And, you know, like you said, it, it's a dream come true. You get to mix your, your passion and uh, what you want to do for a career. So you're, you're in the right spot. So thank you. 
Um, but as I mentioned in the introduction, you just served as commander for the Transatlantic uh, Mars Crew 261, which just finished the, the 12th Soul mission at the NDRS. Can you tell us about what were some of the mission objectives? Um, you know, what were some of the technologies that the crew worked on? I'd be interested to hear those things. Yeah, absolutely. We packed in a lot in our two-week mission. Um, our crew was a crew of professionals. We, we all were um, worked in the space industry. My XO has an incredible amount of analog experience. She was on the Amity 18 mission, which was a five-week Mars mission in Oman. And she's been had other experiences through the European Space Agency, such as zero-G flights. So, um, so, she, so she was super experienced. And we met at a conference. We actually met at the Mars Society conference in 2017 when she came. And we ended up working together on this mission for four years. We mm -hmm. planned this mission out. And the crew complement and the set of experiments shifted a little bit over that time, but we worked on some of these experiments for four years. And, um, you know, we had 16 different experiments. The ones that I worked on were for a lot of them were for the Mars Society and for the MDRS program. Mm -hmm. So one of the things we're trying to show with our virtual reality project is the ability for an astronaut on EVA to have direct support from someone in VR. But also conversely, if you're a VR participant, getting out to experience what it's like to go out in the field in Utah or to go out and explore Mars. And our long-term goal is that we have the ability when the first people get to Mars, that people back on Earth can just put on a VR headset and see where they are and help them out, help them explore the area. We call that concept crowd exploring. So mm -hmm. we've been working on that for about six years now. And as part of that project, we built a high fidelity digital twin of the entire MDRS campus in Utah, as well as a couple square mile, uh, square kilometers of terrain around the campus. Now with our mission that we just finished, one of the things we were gonna try to do is have four of us put on a VR headset at the same time and have the map in front of us in VR and actually be able to plan out our EVAs. Mm -hmm. We also had a new capability using these devices called mesh-tastic devices Mm -hmm. that we are, we would actually wear on our bodies during EVAs and they would capture data of where we were, but also could send data back to the hab. So you can imagine if you have this map up in VR, you can actually see where the crew is out on EVA in real time and talk to them, get some information on like their, you know, maybe how long they've been out, even medical things like their heart rate and things mm -hmm. like that. Um, that's all possible with these, this technology. So we were trying to show some of this end to end working. Um, one of the challenges we have out in Utah when we go on these EVAs is that there's not great radio comms everywhere on the map. Mm -hmm. Some of our EVAs are pretty far from the hab. And so as soon as you go past a, a big sand dune and are on the other side of it, we lose radio comms. So it's a real safety issue. So one of the things we were trying to do as a crew was have a way for us to show where everyone is on the map. And we ended up using Garmin devices in addition to the Mesh-tastic. Mm -hmm. And almost for the entire mission, whenever we had people out in the field, we knew where they were. Um, and up to the point where on the last day, we actually ended up doing a safety drill where Aline and I went out in a rover and turned off our radios and didn't go where we said we were going to go. Mm -hmm. And then we, we clicked the button to send an SOS on the Garmin yeah. to see. And then we just sat back and, and we tried to, you know, let our crew figure this out. Let our crew work together and figure out where we were and how they were going to rescue us and how, like, who was going to rescue us, right? All that stuff. Yeah. How did and, that go? Yeah. And what was amazing is, like, five minutes after we clicked the SOS, we start hearing a drone flying. Oh, yeah. Our crew engineer Julian's, like, trying to find us with his drone. And then they got there in 20 minutes. So we were two kilometers from the hab, and they found us in 20 minutes. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, and that yeah. just shows these people working together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely, that's incredible. Yeah, I that was one of the questions I was going to ask you specifically about the the VR because um, you know when I had the opportunity to come to the the Yuri's Night event um, and I got to experience the the MDRS program and it was really cool. Um, how can people access this program? Yeah, it's actually free. We give it away. Um, it's on MarsVR.com, and we have a version on the Steam video game platform. Um, it's in apps on there. It's not a video game. It's an app. But um, yeah, it's it's actually available for anyone to try out. 
and we have chapters have been trying this out at a different events and, and demoing it to people like like what you had yeah um, at, at yuri's night we've been doing that for about four years now and so we had several thousand people um experience this directly and it's always like a, a, a really fun experience especially for young people young people get vr a lot better than yeah. you know the uh, aerospace executives of the world for example as one group um so you know it's a great it's a great tool for people that want to learn what we do at the mars society and what we do at mdrs and we have some of the actual crew training that people go through in the mm -hmm. vr so you can actually do the crew training and kind of get ready for your mission before you come out to utah but yeah it's really exciting that project and we're really uh, happy that it, you know we, we're able to keep working on it year after year and adding these new capabilities to it yeah, absolutely. I can attest. It was really cool. It does take a, a little bit of, of getting used to. There's there's a little bit of, um, you know, kind of being disoriented at first, but then like, oh yeah, you're moving through it real quickly and getting to go inside the the different rooms and in the the greenhouse and go going to the the rover. It was pretty cool. So yeah, that that's a, a cool technology and, and awesome that it's free and available for anybody that wants to access it. Um, so I know for the crew, you guys were made up of individuals from North America and, and Europe, including four native French speakers. Uh, were there some communication challenges and how well did everyone work together, you know, being from different backgrounds and, and speaking different languages? Yeah, I think communication is really important for crews. And when you get out to Utah, you're in this harsh environment and you're depending on each other. You're depending on, on each other for basic safety and in some cases, if there's an emergency, um, saving someone's life. Mm -hmm. And so um, we, our crew, we had some real challenges at first. Um, not only we had a little bit of the language barrier because we had four people that were native French speakers. They could speak mm -hmm. English, but they had pretty thick accents. So there were times when, you know, I remember my, our medical officer, Audrey, was telling me that someone had hypothermia. And I was like, what's hypothermia? And she was saying hypothermia, mm -hmm. hyperthermia, like heat exhaustion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, you know, because she, the French folks eat the H at the beginning of those words, it's a little bit hard to understand. And then you add in the radio and then you add in cultural differences. Yeah. And then, you know, one of the things we also experienced early on um, is like one, one crew member kept interrupting people because she was just excited to talk. Yeah. And so, and that rubbed another crew member the wrong way, like big time. Mm -hmm. So they actually kind of got into it a little bit. And I, as the commander, I was like, hey, everyone, kind of time out. Let's talk about this. Like, we need to make sure that we're not talking over each other, mm -hmm. especially when we're on the radio. Because when you're on the radio and, and more than one person is talking, you can't hear anyone. Mm -hmm. So you need to kind of slow down a little bit. Make sure you're communicating directly and effectively. Use short sentences and um, don't talk over people. And then wait, let them give a chance, you know, Give a chance to respond and so once we had that conversation as a crew things got way better and by the end of the mission everyone was communicating very effectively and we were able i just feel like you know all of our individuals on the crew were so talented mm -hmm. but together working together as a team of seven we were like superheroes we could have done anything but at, at the end of that mission and that's evidenced by they were able to find us in 20 minutes with the safety drill yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, communication is key, especially for those those missions. And, you know, when you're in those critical, uh, you know, life-saving moments, you need to be able to communicate effectively and efficiently. Uh, but speaking of crew, I think you have a couple photos to share. Is that right? I do. I do. I'd love to share some of these photos. I'll go through them real quickly. But there, we had such great photography on this mission. It, it'd be a crime for me not to show some of these to everyone. Yeah. So there's me the first day. Um, before we went into sim, it was actually right after we went into sim, I had to take that photo. I'm standing inside the Musk Observatory's like little circle. We call that the cupola. So you're allowed to be in there without your spacesuit on. It's a very small mm -hmm. area. And that's great at night when we're doing um, astronomy, uh, taking photos there. This is the Amos Finder experiment. So this is Aaron Kennedy and I holding up the sail that we just tested. This is her wind-powered rover. This rover is designed to look for co2 plumes on the south pole of mars which have never been photographed so the idea would be you'd like let this rover loose and it would yeah. blow along the surface of mars like tumbleweed for a year and try uh -huh. to capture some of those and she tested this and and she did an amazing job that rover is custom built by her she 3d printed all the parts she designed the circuit board and had it printed and she did all the code for it as well and so she's an amazing engineer and there's just a couple shots of us testing it 
We did yeah. six different EVAs to help her test this rover, including rolling it down a hill at a mm -hmm. 30 degree incline, which it didn't, which did not break it. So okay. this was a lot of great engineering work and testing work that she did. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, at the end, she had a little party mode going where the rover could dance with its sails and lights were flashing. Um, now, this is a piece of gypsum. Gypsum is a really cool mineral. It's basically a crystal that grows in the desert mm -hmm. from ancient ocean salt. And so we went on a, a really memorable EVA where four of our crew members went out and looked for gypsum mm -hmm. in this location about two clicks north of the HAB. And yeah. that, that was probably the most memorable EVA that those four people did. Um, here's Audrey on the left or on the right and Cecile, our green hub officer on the left. So Audrey's doing one of her medical experiments. She had two on this mission. She was oh. testing a blood pressure monitor and she was overall measuring our cardiovascular health as analog astronauts, often taking several measurements a day with her two devices to see how the harsh Utah environment mm -hmm. and all the changes that our bodies were going through to adjust to it was affecting our cardiovascular health. Because uh -huh. for astronauts, cardiovascular health is really important. Of course, um, yeah. There's Erin Kennedy. She's our crew roboticist. That was uh, Amos Finder. The wind-powered rover was her experiment. Cool. And there's okay. Julian, our crew engineer. And he's holding a custom drone that we tested out. This is a, a drone made by Adapa360 out of Norway. And they build drones that have 360 cameras and VR capabilities. And they've been doing that for over 10 years. They're one of the partners on the Mars VR project. And we were happy to test out their newest drone, which is called Hawk 23. And we captured a little bit of footage with it. We had some challenges with it. Quite frankly, um, there were some issues with the power on it. But mm -hmm. that's a high-performance drone you could use for search and rescue. And we had two other drones with us that were more commercial, DJI Mavic. Um, Mavic Air 2 and a Mavic Mini that we use more often than this Adapa drone. But this was a great example of us testing out new hardware out in the field and seeing how it worked in Utah. Mm -hmm. okay. This is uh, Cecile and Julianne in the green in the science dome. That that was our science lab, and you can see all the equipment they have. They're sort of setting up and unpacking things. Mm -hmm. Cecile was a, a tremendous microbiologist researcher on this mission. She grew plants. Um, uh, and tested the use of spirulina to um, fertilize plants. So spirulina is blue-green algae, mm -hmm. and it is a very important um, substance and, 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 you know, basically technology, I think of it as, to uh, do Mars agriculture. And one of the things we did on this mission is we actually had some Mars regolith simulant. It's called MMS-1. It was made for the, um, the 2007 Phoenix mission. Uh, -huh. uh to mars and it's made from the desert sand in the mojave desert so it's called okay. mms1 mojave mars simulant we actually grew a tomato plant in that for the first time at mdrs and what? we had another control that was some soil that we got from utah from out on eva uh -huh. as a control and yeah. what's really interesting is we were able to grow the tomato plant with spirulina in the mars soil but not the utah soil interesting findings okay yeah and the reason is because the carbon cycle in the mars soil was able to get going because it was more rocky soil that water could penetrate and the roots could take hold whereas the the utah soil was really mucky and you put water you put water on it it would just congeal so uh -huh. that's the reason but um it's a okay. really interesting finding there's uh, our crew on one of our my, my favorite eva we did to candor chasma where julian and i were both flying drones that day uh, for me, that was like four friends going to the beach almost. Uh, the sand there was just like the beaches and the Florida Gulf Coast that I used to go to when I was a teenager. Um, mm -hmm. So it was a lot of fun to do that EVA and fly drones and explore this Candor Chasma area, which is this huge canyon system nearby the HAB. That's Julian with our photobioreactor. That was another experiment. This is a device that grows spirulina algae. And it's designed to be a prototype of a closed loop life support system. Mm -hmm. So you'd be able to grow spirulina algae and use it as not only a food supplement for the crew, but also it can produce oxygen and carbon dioxide um, and kind of help you with the air in the, in the facility. Um, and there's seal also with that same experiment. This is essentially a big bag of spirulina that was bubbling. And uh -huh. this, this photobioreactor had lights and okay. helped it to grow and also helped us harvest it out 
and replace the water. Yeah. And it was fully automated. There's some code with it that that kept everything working that Julian wrote. Uh -huh. and we actually have this experiment still running in the science dome right now where the next crew is keeping an eye on it because we're going to go harvest the spirulina one more time and see how much this created overall over the course of a month. See how it worked. Okay. So it's the green part at the bottom, right? Is it is yeah. it the liquid in that state right there in that photo? It's liquid? Yeah, it's liquid. It's essentially distilled water with a whole bunch of spirulina, little little tiny microorganisms that are okay. green. Yeah. Like they're, it's cloudy. It's okay. almost like apple cider vinegar. If you shake up a bottle of that, oh, yeah. same kind of thing. Okay. Like those, okay. Are, those spirulina are alive. They're little, they look like little worms. And we looked at them under the microscope and their little tails were twitching. They're really uh -huh. cute. But cool. uh, you've used that. We were using that as a plant supplement for tomato and basil plants. Oh, sure. Okay. A lot of other uses for spirulina. Incredible. Okay. And and that was the first plant that's, that's been grown uh, at MDRS? Yeah, we, we proved you can grow a plant in Martian regoliths simulant at mm -hmm. MDRS using spirulina. Okay. That's, that's a, that's, we're writing that up. That's a finding. That's a scientific discovery. Amazing. Okay. Um, and this is Julian with his guitar. He was our entertainment every night. We would sing Bon Jovi and Guns N' Roses. And um, there's we were doing Britney Spears a lot too. Uh, the, 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 the women really, the French women really liked that song. So, Princeton's, you know, culture and languages, Britney Spears. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, there's Julian. He slept up in that loft. And every morning he was so happy. He was almost like peeking out of there, like the opposite of Oscar the Grouch. Like, Happy Julian peeking out of the loft and saying good morning to us all. Um, let's see, that's him with the power system. So we have this really complex power system in MDRS. It's a solar array with a bunch of batteries and an inverter. And we also have a diesel generator that's the backup system. And so one of the challenges we have just running that system is it's so complicated. We're not always ch charging and draining the battery effectively. And so what Julian was trying to do was not only put in some new monitoring mm -hmm. for mission support so they can monitor the power system better, but also have a smart grid at MDRS where it would actually detect the usage of different devices mm -hmm. and tailor the battery usage and the power um, uh, uh, creation to that. Yeah. And so um, he worked on that a lot during our mission and we handed the new um, monitoring off to mission support when we were done. I can imagine various reasons why that would be important to monitor that information. Yeah. And one of the things we learned, like one f insight we had is th the crews on Mars need constant power. You know, of one course. of the experiments we were going to try to do was electronic voting on, using the Mars coin blockchain. Mm -hmm. And we couldn't set up our file server because the power kept shutting off one, like once or twice a day, uh -huh. um, which is kind of normal at, right now at MDRS. Mm -hmm. But that meant that our server kept going down and we yeah. couldn't, we'd have to go push the button to turn it back on every time. Mm -hmm. So we ended up like not using that experiment very much and, and, and moved to the cloud and use the cloud a lot instead. So that was one finding we had is if you want, if you want governance on Mars, power is critical to have the life support systems work, but also to have all your infrastructure work. Yeah, absolutely. Power is key. Yeah. So many of your, your devices, your research, all of your, you know, your communication, all of that relies on having the power. So yeah. Exactly. Interesting finding. Okay. There's and, Cecile uh, doing her craft with the plants. Uh, she, okay. she did many different plant growing experiments with the control of some uh, regular gardening soil. That's what that looks like, but also the Martian regolith and the Utah soil. Mm -hmm. uh, this is not a photo of the movie Top Gun. That's Aline just uh, getting ready for our, one of our EVAs. She was such a professional. She, um, we did a lot of safety training early on. We got all the crew members qualified to do EVAs. We did training on emergency procedures with them. They knew how to take off their helmet quickly, take off their backpack quickly, deal with emer any emergency situation that came up. Um, and uh, that's all thanks to Aline. She's actually a safety engineer for the European Space Agency. And so that was, that was what she brought to the mission as well as she was our crew astronomer. So she actually operated the solar telescope in the Musk Observatory, the whole mission, captured mm -hmm. some new photos of the sun and, and solar flares and sunspots. And she also did some work at another observatory in New Mexico, where mm -hmm. we were trying to capture some photos of, I think the Orion Nebula is what she was doing there. So, um, so yeah, she's still kind of processing some of that, but you know, the skies out in Utah are amazing for astronomy. Mm -hmm. This is Aaron Kennedy with her phone and you can see the Orion constellation clearly visible 
yeah. um, in front of her, as well as Sirius on the kind of the left side of her, um, the star Sirius. I mean, that's just an example of how clear the skies are out there. It's it's truly amazing to be out there at night. Yeah. It, and is that one right in the middle? Is that Mars? It, from this angle, it looks just a little bit like it's got an orange glow to it. I don't think that's Mars. I think that's one of part of the uh, one of the stars of Orion. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, yep. I see. I see the three belt there. Yeah. Immediately caught. Uh, yeah, that's Beetlejuice. That. Yeah, Michael yep. Stoltz is saying. Yeah, thank you. Oh, thanks, yes. Michael. Thanks, Michael. <laughs> it is a red star. So. <laughs> there we go. And thanks, then uh, there's there's the night I did their, our VR demo to the crew. Um, I was showing them the new version that you can have people um helping you out and we actually had when i got uh, the headset on jeff rayner who's my partner on the vr project here in seattle was mm -hmm. already in there and we were able to talk to him in real time from the lower deck of the ab so that was a lot of fun that was a cool moment of uh connecting virtually with uh, one of our one of our trusted partners on the project um and having him say hello to the crew yeah definitely okay got there's uh cecile and julian um and so they're actually a couple and it was really touching to have them be on the mission together yeah and they were an excellent compliment to each other worked very well with each other um you know she was our green hub officer he was our crew engineer and they both worked on the algacraft photobioreactor um, that had the spirulina and there's me we actually had a tv journalist come visit us from uh the salt lake city cbs affiliate mm -hmm. and that news package should be out soon we're really excited to see what she comes up with but she said this was her favorite story she's covered so far in her job mm -hmm. that was cool to hear uh interviewing us and talking about you know living on living on mars um there's aline getting ready for an eva and like i said we we all helped each other get on, on evas and did safety training and made sure everyone knew how to use the radios and how to put on the helmet but how to more importantly how to take it off in mm -hmm. an emergency quickly the yeah. way our suits work we have these helmets we have backpacks that have fans in them and there's those two hoses and so it's blowing air into your helmet so it simulates a real spacesuit it simulates like the the sound a spacesuit would have you're getting um fresh air you're ha you have the same weight you would have for a spacesuit on mars mm -hmm. so it's it's kind of like you go out on an eva and it's heavy backpacking essentially yeah. it's it's analogous to that uh -huh. So you feel pretty tired. Like I, we did one EVA where we walked about two clicks, two kilometers uh -huh. Uh -huh. with those suits on. And you know, it, it's a lot, you, you gotta, you gotta take water breaks and afterwards you pre, you feel pretty tired, but our crew was, we were such troopers. We actually packed in 19 EVAs in oh, 12 wow. days. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's a record, but it's, it's up there. Like most mm -hmm. crews do maybe eight to 10. Mm -hmm. for a two-week mission and we did 19 we were doing two a day for most of the days um and having having crews rotate you know crew members rotate so nobody was doing two evas in one day we had it all rotated out we had our objectives planned out in advance and we rotated the rovers we used so we can we we quickly we quickly determined that out of the four rovers two of them were really good for long duration uh -huh. and the other two probably couldn't make it but we okay. still tried to stress them out and, and get them as far as we could and had frequent readings of the battery level. Um, so we actually did a lot of good work just testing out all the systems at MDRS, kind mm -hmm. of exercising the station that, mm -hmm. a, you know, that a professional crew would do to show everyone else kind of what they can do on a mission. Yeah, um, there's, there's, yeah absolutely. Kind of, um, you know, there's some crews that they spend most of their time just staying in the hab. Uh -huh. But like when we get to Mars, it's all about exploring. Mm -hmm. You know, I hope that the first crew that goes to Mars can explore like a huge area. Um, and so that's what we were trying to model is let's let's try to go almost everywhere on the map that's interesting. And we did a lot of it. We did a lot of the longer traverses that most crews work up to. You know, mm -hmm. we were doing a long traverse on the first Friday of the mission on day five. Yeah. You know, so the second week was full of those. Okay. Yeah, getting started right away. All right. And then, um, yeah, this is mm -hmm. just what it would look like out the window for us. That's that's our our window on Mars. Um, the view wake up. It was an amazing experience. And then, of course, there's the last photo when we were all done. Uh, we did a nice little walk out in the desert uh, together back on Earth and had a good time. Wow. What an incredible experience. It really was. It really was. And like th this kind of experience, you bond with people, right? Yeah. Like those are lifelong friends now of mine. Mm -hmm. 
And, um, but also, like I said earlier, they were just such amazingly talented individuals, but they working together, it was just magic. Like having everyone helping each other out, solving problems together. I feel like we could have done anything at the end of that mission. We could de mm -hmm. definitely live on Mars. Yeah. Live very comfortably on Mars for two weeks. Yeah. Proved as possible. What would you say, um, you know, peel back the layers a little bit. What were, you know, your favorite parts, obviously, you know, your, your crew and getting to build those relationships with them, but you know, what were your, your favorite parts and, you know, be honest, we want to hear, you know, what was your not so favorite part? What was the, the not so fun, the down and dirty part that wasn't quite as enjoyable? I think the, 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 my favorite part was going out to Candor on that one EVA where we had, we were both flying drones, Julian and I, uh -huh. we were capturing fo uh, footage for Aline's outreach videos that she was doing for the European Space Agency. So she was kind of there too, to direct us and, and tell us what she wanted to, to see. And then Audrey was there. She was our, our health and safety officer. She mm -hmm. was there to kind of reel in Julian and I so we didn't get too excited and do something <laughs> stupid. That was like what yeah. I told her to do. Like, just make sure that we're not doing anything dumb, like mm -hmm. walking off a cliff. Right, um, right. We were out there pretty far, and it was a pretty huge canyon system. And mm -hmm. there were like 100-foot drops that we were walking near. So so that was kind of uh, what we did. That was the most fun EVA. Yeah. Um, I, so the, for the other part of your question, I guess, you know, seeing my crew have conflict and making sure that I could support them all, mm -hmm. you know, making sure that they had the support they needed. One of the, my early messages to them at our, my first briefing to them, the commander briefing mm -hmm. was like, I have your back, like, you know, and you have, you guys have already shown me you have my back. So I'm going to have your back too. Yeah. And if you need help, just ask for it. Mm -hmm. And if you're, if you don't know what to do, like during your mission, if you don't, if you're kind of idle, think about what you want to get out of this. And if you need help, let me know. Like I'm here yeah. too. Here and to so basically, you. you know, we work together well and, and by giving them a little bit of trust and, be, and me being vulnerable, that really built the bond. And by the end of the mission, we were super tight. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's probably a critical part of, of your, you know, dynamic as a crew is everybody, you know, being vulnerable and saying, Hey, I need help with something and, and everybody being there to step up uh, when, when somebody does need help. Um, like you said, that's what, what bonds everybody together and you come out uh, stronger at the end. So uh, that, that's great to hear that. And yeah, like you said, long time, lifelong friends, what an incredible uh, experience for you guys. Think you'll do it again. You're going to do another, another mission. Well, my job now is to kind of run the program right and so um as well as the other things the mars society does but one yeah. of the things i'm really excited about is i got to go do a lecture last saturday night the day after we were done with the mission mm -hmm. in a nearby town called tory utah um nearby where we are in hanksville utah it's about an hour away and that area of of, of utah in, in the south is one of the least populated and and underprivileged counties in america and so I wanted to talk to folks that were local in the community mm -hmm. and I wanted to build some bridges with them yeah. Yeah. on like what we, so they understood what we were doing in Utah. Cause we've been out there 20 years now, you know, and we've, we've been part of the, the, the story of that area. There was a large dinosaur find that happened on our first mission on, on crew oh. one at MDRS. Yeah. Um, and it ended up being one of the biggest paleontology discoveries in the last 30 years. And now it's this major dig site. And a lot of people know about that that are local, but they don't necessarily know what we're doing at the station uh -huh. or that we have that connection to it. And yeah. so, um, you know, one of the things I asked, I talked to this audience of about 60 people at the Entrada Institute in Torrey. Um, and, and they have a lecture series and they invited me to it. Um, and it was very timely because it was right after our mission. And so I was able to be freshly give them my perspective on what it was like to command a crew there. Mm -hmm. But I also wanted to tell, you know, talk to them about how we could help their community. You know, I asked the audience there, have it, has anyone here read the Wayne County Economic Development Plan? And out of the 60 people, about three people's hand went up. One of them was the mayor, mm -hmm. uh, Tori, who was there. Um, and I said, yeah, I've read it too. And in that report, it says three things. It says you need, you guys need housing for young families. You need new sources of water. And there's an idea for a natural history museum in Hanksville. And I'd like to help you guys with all three of those. And mm -hmm. I think the Natural History Museum could have a science component. It could have a discovery component because there's the, a pioneer history in that part of Utah as well. And so I think just having inroads into the community like that and also bringing in the schools 
you know, bringing in some of the high school and middle schoolers to, to just visit the station is yeah. something we should do more of. We've done it in the past, mm -hmm. um, but it's definitely something we should do more of. And I want to do, I want to work on that. And so that lecture was very well, well received. I, I've already gotten a note from the mayor saying like, Hey, if you need volunteers, just let me know. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was important too, that, that, that I had that experience with trying to connect with the local community. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, well, that's incredible. I mean, to reach out to to the the community, and I mean, it sounds like you've got support, you know, specifically from the mayor. Um, but yeah, how how amazing would that be to you know have some of those locals there that that want to volunteer and participate? Um, and like you said, yeah, bring a, a natural history history museum uh, to the area where such a historic find, you know, what was made. Um, that seems like the right place to to have an institution like that. Absolutely. Yeah, I love it. Okay, well, I think it's a good time to take a couple audience questions. I see we've got a couple. Um, I see we've got one from David. It says, what music do they play at MDRS? Does everyone agree on a playlist? Yeah, well, we actually, like I said, we actually were doing a lot of sort of karaoke at night with Julian on the guitar, and he was trying to learn different songs that we were requesting. Um, uh, I think the early favorite was some of the Bon Jovi songs. We all enjoyed singing those. Um, I mentioned Guns N' Roses and yep. um, a few other things uh, we did. He he he's a very, he used to be in a rock band, so he's awesome. very talented with with uh, the guitar. In addition to writing code and fixing everything, you know, mm -hmm. he was a great engineer, very useful Jack of all for the rest trade. of the crew. But but that was a lot of fun. And you know, we also we all had our own little playlists. We all like would take time to listen to our own music as well uh -huh. um you know i i did a lot of sort of meditation stuff and we once did a guided meditation with three of us and it was in a really good time where we all kind of needed a rest and needed a break and yeah you know, there was a lot of like deep emotions as part of this crew like it, oh, for me it was a lot of happiness because i'm doing what i love to do i'm i'm the commander for the first time this is something we've been preparing for for years and it's coming together really well Mm -hmm. There was that, but there was also, I was sad a little bit because on my last mission, Max Boyce was one of my crew members and he's, he died tragically last year and died too young. He was one of the people that worked on our analog suits with the Northern California chapter. Yeah. And so Max for me was a, a reminder, a lot on the mission. I dedicated my first EVA to him as commander. Mm -hmm. And every time we were suiting up, I was thinking about how he taught me how to suit up on EVAs. Mm -hmm. And so I was dealing with some of that. Uh, during the mission, it was very fresh, even though I heard about his death last year, it yeah. was still very fresh for me to be there and to be in the place where he taught me some of this. Mm -hmm. um, and then also just like the fatigue and the dehydration, like that really affects your mood and affects your emotions as well. Yeah, and we sure. were, we were all fighting off dehydration, the whole mission, because we're out there getting sweaty on EVAs, but also we flew, a lot of us flew into to Utah. You know, and my, my crew members flew from Europe into Utah. So they were all kind of already dehydrated. And then they, then they yeah. get out in the desert and it's it kind of hits you like a wall. Mm -hmm. um, one of the insights I had was let's bring a bunch of electrolyte packets. So I had like the Tom Brady TB12 electrolyte <laughs> packets for everyone. And yeah. those were a hit because they were like green tea flavored and lemonade and mm -hmm. punch and stuff like that. So that was that was really good. And that helped us stay hydrated a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, how incredible, um, you know, an, an experience, one, to, to honor Max, like like you said, he was, you know, helping you get into your your suit and, and EVAs, and um, yeah, I can imagine there, there are a lot of emotions, you know, coming into a mission like this, um, you know, beyond just uh, dealing with the passing of, of somebody that you knew, a friend, um, but yeah, I can imagine it's, it's quite uh, tiring, fatigue, the dehydration, the jet lag, all of it rolled into one. Time uh, change. Yeah, yeah. change, but yeah, I imagine you'd come out of that experience uh, a, a bigger, better person. Um, well, that's exciting. Uh, David also asks, uh, is there any documentation or reports on quirks in simulations? Yes, we've done a um, we've done a final mission summary, and we also have a research report. So we did 16 different experiments. I mm -hmm. haven't had time to mention them all. Everyone should read the report that we wrote because some of the things we've done are really innovative. Mm -hmm. um and yeah you know basically we tried to cram in as much as we could in those two weeks i mean we had right. multiple layers of stuff happening we were trying to do safety drills we were trying to make sure people understood how to follow procedures at mdrs but also like give us feedback give me feedback on 
the procedures at MDRS? Are there things we should do differently? Um, yeah. Cecile gave me a great list after the mission of all the scientific equipment she didn't have and what she could have done if she had it, mm -hmm. you know? So um, that's something we'll take into the program to make it better. And, you know, that, that's, that's kind of what I want the program to stand for is we're continuously improving, we're continuously innovating and bringing in new technologies and new scientific approaches and, and really doing some great work at the station. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I see two questions uh, regarding uh, water. Uh, the first question is from Scott, it says, how much water do you use on the MDRS for a two-week mission? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we have a water tank. I believe it's around 120 gallon water tank. And we were monitoring it very closely. Julian had a whole graph that had our ideal trend and where we actually work, what we were actually using for water. Mm -hmm. We had a challenge the first day we were there when we, before we even got into SIM, um, somebody accidentally left the downstairs faucet on just a trickle. Mm -hmm. And then we went out on a training and drove the rovers for about half an hour and came back. Mm -hmm. So in that time, we used like, I don't know, 10 or 15 gallons of water. Wow. And that was precious water. Like that was, right. you know, that that we, we were pretty shocked at first because it meant that we were going to run out mm -hmm. uh, during the two weeks. We were yeah. we maybe only had enough for 10 days instead of 12. Mm -hmm. But we kind of rallied. We made sure everyone understood that we're supposed to conserve water and how to do that when you're doing things like washing dishes and taking short showers uh, we yes. taught everyone how to do a navy shower where you kind of you get yourself wet turn off the water and then you soap up and clean yourself and then you rinse yourself off mm -hmm. and you can do that and, and, and it's just as effective as a regular shower and you barely use any water doing it like that yeah. and so yeah. um so, so so our crew we did it we we basically um conserved our water and we didn't run out we actually were on the trend line all the way up to day 11 when we got a resupply for the next crew. So, so, so we, you know, that was an, that was an early focus of ours as well as the power, making sure that we weren't using too much power and understanding the power system overall. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said earlier, you know, the power is key. Same, same with the water. Um, it, it's critical and yeah, you have to have a, a conversation with everybody about, you know, how important this is. We really have to con conserve the water. Yeah, that was a question from William. Uh, was there a serious shortage of water, like a real mission might need to ration uh, an accidental under provisioning? Yeah, we, that, we all deal with that at MDRS. We all have a shortage of water of what you're used to. Yeah. You know? and, and honestly, like as Americans, I think we should be more conscious of what we use for water and all consumables, you know, because... Yeah. The stuff, you know, I do believe in abundance, but it's a big world and we all need to be conscious with what we're consuming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I agree with you there. Uh, let's see. There's another question. It says, will the upcoming show Stars on Mars be filmed at MDRS? Um, yeah, that one, no. Um, that one they're doing in Australia. Um, I think it's great. There's a show that's, do, you, that's doing something similar to what we do at the Mars Society. I'm also really excited about NASA's new analog in Johnson Space Center in Houston. Mm -hmm. There was just a story today on CNN.com um, about it, and they mentioned MDRS favorably, that we've been yeah. crushing it out in Utah for 20 years, and they calculated how, many, how much analog time we've, we've had. So um, I'm really excited about the fact that what we do, what we've been at for 20 years now, mm -hmm. at the Mars Society is catching on. Yeah. And now there's a, this TV show and there's the, what NASA is doing and what East is doing. Um, we should talk about Mongolia at some point, too, because that that's exciting. You know, there's there's an analog that's being built in Mongolia and we're part of that. We're part of that project and giving them assistance. Mm -hmm. And they just recently got funding from the president of Mongolia and he's going to talk about it at his U.N. speech later this year, we hope. So, you know, don't sleep on Mongolia either. <sighs> So cool. I'm sure we'll have more announcements that are, are going to come about, uh, specifically the, the Mongolia station. Uh, I see a question from James Melton. Uh, who is the cook or do you all pitch in? Oh, we all pitched in. I mean, Audrey was amazing. I mean, French cooking is great. They can do amazing things with peas and carrots and rice. It's just every meal was fantastic. Um, Julian made crepes out of the we have this dehydrated egg powder and dehydrated butter powder um and you just add some water to it and it's good as new and so he was making crepes 
Um, I made some stuff. I had, we had taco night a couple times. That was a big hit mm -hmm. uh, amongst the French people. They're not used to Mexican food. Yeah. They don't they don't know what that is kind of thing. Um, and so I, I was doing some kind of Tex-Mex stuff with tostadas and and uh, ground beef and and taco seasoning. Um, I made also a jambalaya because it's interesting. You know, Louisiana, that's basically French cuisine with an American twist. So it's kind mm -hmm. of both. So yeah. I made this jambalaya dish and I put in a bunch of like tuna and and things. And they really that was one of the hits of the mission as well. But we had a thing where everyone would contribute to the chores. Everybody would cook or clean and we all pitched in and we actually didn't need it to ask anyone to do it at the, you know, kind of midway and, and, and towards the end of the mission because everyone was just eager to help. Yeah, everybody steps in. Um, I see a question. Are you inspired to do another mission at MDRS? Yeah, I, I definitely want to continue working with Aline and some of the other, all the others on the crew to um, to maybe plan out future missions. I think there's a lot of good work our folks can do, our mm -hmm. crew can do to help the program and to help just humans to Mars yeah. overall. I mean, we, we, we touched so many areas of research and disciplines, like even the way we did our EVAs and with the way we had our EVA monitor where we can see where people were out in the field. We solved some of the challenges with safety with radio comms where there's not full coverage of on the radio on all parts of the map. With our Garmin devices, we had we had eyes on everyone at all times. We always knew when people that we that people were safe. Yeah. And so um, we definitely can show more things that the program could do. I think in future missions. So mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. I'd love to start planning another mission with the the folks I was just with. Yeah. Well, speaking of other missions, uh, you know, how can people get involved? How can people become a volunteer or how can somebody go on a mission at MDRS? Yeah, we, it's uh, open to everyone to apply. Um, you can go on the MDRS website and um, you can either apply individually or you can apply as a group of people. Um, we've had lots of successful crews from different universities that have applied together. Mm -hmm. um, I'm thinking of Purdue and Embry-Riddle and Supero in France, those all those universities usually send a crew every year, and and those are some of our best crews. But we also assemble crews from just amazing individuals like this one. Mm -hmm. You know, we assembled this crew from folks from the French chapter and folks from America and Canada, um, and and we'll do more crews like that where we're assembling these amazing individuals that apply and trying to match them up with people that would be complementary to their skill set and to all the crew roles that we have. Yeah, definitely. I, I'm sure I, I can see it in the chat. We have some, you know, enthusiasts that are, are going to be interested in uh, filling that application so that they can get a chance to, to serve on a mission. Uh, I see another question here. I, you've talked about the plants and, and what you were able to grow a tomato plant. Uh, one of the questions is what plants are you currently growing at Greenhab? Yeah, that's a great question. We have tomato, cherry tomato plants going. We have basil, mint, and we have some salad greens. Those are the four main ones. And we harvested all four of those during our mission. Mm -hmm. And the crew that's there now where Megan Kane is the commander are doing the same thing. So they're supplementing the, the food that they have that's shelf stable mm -hmm. with some of the fresh greens and tomatoes and, and herbs from the green app. Yeah. Are you, are you guys eating any of those? Like, okay, this, this cherry tomato is ripe. I'm going to pop this on my, my salad or. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. In fact, we made, we made tea with the, the mint plants almost every night. There was also sage. I didn't mention that. So we would have sage and mint tea mm -hmm. that, that Cecile would make on the stove. There's a photo of her doing that in my yeah. photos there. Um, and yeah, we actually absolutely would supplement what we were doing with uh, the stuff from the green half. And we actually tried spirulina too. Oh, yeah. We put that on some, I put that on some rice and mm -hmm. it's got an interesting texture. I'll just say that. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, how did that taste? It tasted okay, but it's kind of the aftertaste that's a little different. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. It's really, maybe not, uh, not the go-to. Um, I see a question here that, that piques my interest. Um, has it ever been discussed to attempt to send a family like parents and kids uh, on a mission to MDRS? We have done that in the past. We've had, um, like preteen kids with their parents there. Um, so yeah, that's not, there's nothing prohibiting that from happening on a future crew. Excellent. Okay. Uh, and one thing, I know we're getting close to the end of time, uh, but one of the things that, James, I specifically wanted to ask you, um, you know, was regarding uh, a potential uh, crew of, of all, all women. 
um, you know, the idea about a female led or an all female crew to the moon or Mars. Uh, what, what's your opinion about that idea? So one of the findings we've had with the program, um, and this is based on some of the work that was done by Inga Pop Popovite, um during her University of Utah PhD, she looked at crew dynamics and she found the insight that women perform in some cases better than men at communication and collaboration in an analog situation. So we've actually had, so Ashton, we've actually had many all women crews. We had actually three last mm -hmm. field season. So um, it's not really something I think we need to, sh to prove or show frequently anymore, but it is, you know, our crew, for example, was heavier on women than men. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we did that a little bit deliberately because we wanted to make sure that everyone was working together well. And just yeah. the individuals we selected um, were the best at those roles and were complementary to each other. But, um, but no, I definitely think that when we get to sending people to Mars, that having an all women crew is an option. But there's also great examples of men that are good at communication and collaboration and other skills as well. So I don't think we should gender, gender, um, you know, gender select too much. I think right. it should be all about who's the best for the role. Right. Yeah. The best candidate who has the, the best experience, the, you know, the right education, the knowledge who, who blends well together. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you there. That, that's a good point. Um, well, as we're beginning to, to wrap up, uh, you know, can you tell us what's what's on the horizon? What are some of the projects that you're working on? Obviously, we talked about VR. We're talking about the missions. Uh, right. What are some of the other things that uh, you are working on with the Mars Society, some of the, the other projects? Yeah, we just published the telerobotic book that, from the contest we did last year. Um, we're going to start promoting that. That's actually out on Amazon right now. You can go pick that up. Um, and we've done three books now for based on the contest we've had the Mars Colony design book and the Mars City State design book were the other two. We also did a high school engineering program last year that was very innovative. We had 40 students. They all uh, worked together to design missions to Mars. They, there were five teams mm -hmm. and they all finished the six week program last summer. And some of those students have gotten scholarships to universities based on, um, you know, in part based on being in that program but they all got inspired about Mars and they all want to enter STEM careers. Mm -hmm. So we see that program as very successful as an education program. And we're going to try to scale it up and do it again this summer. So, so we're going to, we're starting to work on that. Obviously the conference in October, we're going back to ASU, Arizona state university. We mm -hmm. had a great conference there last year. And so we're going to do that again. We'll also have a component where we have, we hopefully go down to biosphere two. Yeah. And see the new Mars analog Sam that just started up there. And by the way, part, as part of this mission, I also uh, presented at the Analog Astronaut Conference while we were in SIM. We also had a link up with the High Seas crew in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. That was a first of, the, of our crew and the High Seas crew talking to each other while in SIM. They were just starting their mission. We were just ending ours. So it was kind of a fun handoff. And I gave them a little tour of all the experiments. That was a lot of fun. And then we had the journalists come. But yeah, I mean, basically, there's a lot still to for us to do with the results of our mission. We're going to be generating more content, and we're going to um, have things like a, a playback of one of our EVAs with all the drone footage and photos and audio that we captured for that. That'll yeah. be fun to see. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and there'll be other announcements we have throughout the year as well that we're working on things. Mongolia is one of them. We're really excited to have the first mission in Mongolia later this year, hopefully. Yeah. A lot of projects, a lot of things happening. It's, it's a very exciting time. Uh, it's cool to see these projects happening at the same time that we're seeing the, you know, the Artemis missions, you know, Occupy Mars. Uh, it's cool to see those things kind of happening in, in tandem. Um, you know, why, speaking of the, the annual conference, um, you know, why should someone come to Arizona this fall? What can well, they it's, a, it, it's a fantastic experience to meet fellow like-minded people at the Mars Society. You're, you know, every time, every conference I've ever been to going back to the, the late 90s, I've met new people, met new friends that we end up working together on projects like Aline and I with this mission. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's a great place to network. It's a great place to see amazing talks. We're going to have a lot of the speakers from NASA, SpaceX and Europeans and folks from elsewhere around the world. We had the Mongolian delegation come last year. They brought the house down with their plan for an analog. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, the, the conference is always fun. And we also have a virtual option. So if you're not able to come in person, 
If you just join the Mars Society, become a member, it's only $50 a year, $25 for students and senior citizens. You can attend the conference virtually for free, watch it on the live stream and interact with everyone that's there. Excellent. I'm sure that a lot of, uh, you know, those individuals that are, are listening to us right now, um, you know, are going to be tuning in for, for the annual conference. So uh, like like James said, uh, if you're interested in becoming a Mars Society member, go to marssociety.org. Uh, you can join there. Also, if you're interested in going on a mission to MDRS, you can also find out, find the information, the application there as well. Uh, if you want to become an ambassador, there is the ambassador program as well. Check it all out on, yep, there you go. Uh, check it all out on the Mars Society website. I'm trying to find my patch here. There we go. Yep, I got to get this one added. Um, so yeah, thank you, James, so much for, for joining the podcast today. This was uh, excellent. I, I really appreciate you sharing your experience going on your, your MDR mission. Um, a, a lot of valuable information. I'm looking forward to watching the, the drone footage that you mentioned, uh, reading some of the, the research articles that come out from, from the mission and all the experience experiments. So thank you again so much for joining. Thank you everybody for tuning in. You had excellent questions. Uh, it's been another great episode and I'm just so thankful for everyone's participation. Thank you, James. Thank you, Michael Stoltz. Thank you, uh, Michael and Leah at Liftport. Uh, thank you everybody for tuning in. Uh, appreciate all of you. And remember the best is yet to come. There will be more exciting, literally the best is yet to come. I'm so excited. We have some amazing guests that are coming up uh, in the next couple months. So stay tuned for those announcements. Again, thank you so much, James, for joining. Thank you so much, Ashton. I'll see you on Mars. I'll see you there. Bye, everybody.